0: Unfound is brought to you by the generous listeners at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with our gracious advertisers. On this episode, I discuss the disappearance of Anna Walsh. I once again get peeved about the Idaho massacre coverage. I go over how these power station attacks are not terrorism. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including how I learned to drive a manual transmission I'm at Denzel and this is unfound live for January 9th 2023. Hello, everyone. This is the Think Tank. It's not the Think Tank. It's a live show. What am I talking about? We did the Think Tank last night. Ah, That just shows you where my mind is as I come to the microphone uh, tonight. Got a lot of things going on in my mind. Uh, A lot of things to talk about. (laughs) Can't believe I just did. No, no Think Tank tonight. This is the very, very public live show that is accessible to anybody who wants to watch or listen. And I thank everybody uh, who will be uh, joining in tonight. I have a, uh, a great show planned for all of you. Uh, you should know that this is a live show that takes a, a couple hours to put together, decide what I want to talk about put some notes together, put them over on my other laptop. The laptop that I use for the live show, the camera part, uh, comes from my MacBook. It's certainly The camera on my MacBook is certainly better than the camera on my HP laptop, even though my HP laptop is probably two years newer than this MacBook, at least two years newer. So that is why I always choose to use the uh, MacBook um, for uh, these live shows. You may be wondering, well, I've seen you do these interviews that, of course, have played, for example, most recently on Zoom. Why do do you look different on those uh, Zoom interviews, Ed, than you do on the live show? And the reason is because I'm giving you a little behind-the-scenes look at Unfound that um, I don't know if other podcasters do this or not. But um, the reason I do that is because my MacBook here, the memory on it is not very large. And I'm constantly having to move files from it like the like the audio files for the podcast and over to an external hard drive, and as you would imagine, when you do a Zoom call or Zoom interviews, as I do, those files when they get recorded, those files are quite large, and they're so large that sometimes my if I were to do it on the MacBook, I might not be able to save the file, and I worry about that. Whereas I know when I use my HP. It has way more, you know, much bigger hard drive and it can, there's a lot fewer steps in trying to save it on the HP than it would be on the Mac. And I worry, I just worry about, I don't want to even take any, you know, I don't want to get chancy with it. So that is why for zoom interviews, I use my HP, but when I do these uh, live shows, I do them uh, using the MacBook. So, there is a method to my madness, believe it. So as uh, you were starting to tune in, um, not sure how many people we're going to have tonight is uh, Monday night because of there's a championship football game going on, although it's not much of a game, uh, which is pretty much what I predicted. Georgia, I mean. Uh, Georgia, I believe, was going to blow out uh, TCU. I think TCU winning their game from last week was a bit of luck. So uh, I think Georgia's already blowing out TCU. So maybe people who thought they were going to be watching the football game all night will instead turn that off and come into the live show. So I understand um, You know, some people may be going over and doing that tonight. Totally understandable. They can catch this later here on YouTube or they can catch it as a podcast when it comes out tomorrow. Please remember to give this video a thumbs up. Just do it right now. Please like this uh, video. Give it a uh, like it, share it, do whatever you got to do. Please consider joining and contributing to uh, Unfound in Your Own uh, way. I would appreciate that. Joining the join button is right below where you can see my face on here. Although if you're watching on a phone, you're most likely not going to see the join button. You will have to go to a regular computer to see the join button. I actually got into a conversation with a listener um, since last week. She was asking me about joining and she didn't see the join button. I said, wait, well, I think you're going to have to go to a regular computer and not do it on your phone. Although you may, if you have a tablet of some kind, the join button may show up. But on phones, a lot of times, the join button is just not there. So to keep that in mind, of course, subscribe to this channel right down there in the bottom right-hand corner. So now that we're one more thing, if you feel like monetarily contributing to unfound during the next two hours of this live show. You can hit the super chat button, uh, the little square with a dollar sign in it, and you will be recognized. Maybe you want to put in a little message in there, or maybe you want to ask me a question. Uh, Unfortunately, I did not get any questions before starting the live show tonight. So if there are any questions you'd like me to answer throughout the course course, uh, I I will have time to do that. Uh, You know the standard. You can ask me about anything uh, as long as it's PG and not too personal. It does not have to be disappearance or true crime related or podcasting related. Uh, As we've talked about, we talk about music here. We've touched upon movies here. And a whole bunch of other topics that have nothing to do with the podcast itself. So if you uh, have a question, uh, please uh, feel free. Let your mind go wherever it wants to go as long as, again, it is PG rated and not too personal. And even if it's kind of personal, I will try to answer it uh, as best I can, probably with some humor. All right, let's see who is in here, and then I'll start getting into the agenda. We'll start with stuff going on in my life. I have a funny story that came up between my brother and I when we were together uh, that I want to pass along to all of you. Uh, The Real got in first, coming the whole way from Australia. The Real beat out everybody getting into the chat first. Hello, The Real. What's going on? Nephew Charles, I hung out with your Uncle Brian today. We had a spectacular time. Wish you could have been there. Saw a lot of fantastic cars today. Uh, at the Mekam Auction over in Kissimmee. Hello, Assistant Carrie. What's going on? Hello, Mark and in Indy. What's going on? Jasmine, Karen, Twinkle. Assistant Cherie moderating is Charlie Bravo. Good to see you, Cherie. Hope you're doing well. Hello, Kathy. Carrie, uh, we'll, we'll try to come back. Got a reboot comp. All right, Carrie. Um, Valerie, it's Monday. Hi, Ed. Hi, everyone. Twinkle, my Chiefs won the ACC West. Uh, are they still your Chiefs when when they were like a really bad team? Twinkle, or are they only your Chiefs when they're doing a lot of winning? <laughs> uh, happy for them. I really have nothing against the the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, if they were to win the Super Bowl again, I, I guess it's fine with me. I'm really. Am I rooting for anybody? Not not really, I guess. Probably when the Super Bowl comes around, I'll be involved in some sort of betting or something. But other than that, I really don't care. Hello, Fairy. Hello, Coffee. And Twinkle asked me, Ed, are your eyes blue or gray? I would say, Twinkle, that they are blue. Uh, they are not uh, a uh, you know deep, deep, deep blue. Maybe I'll get real close to the computer here. Um, I'm sure there are people out there with blue eyes, but I think it more, they would fall more into the blue area than the gray area. I think it says blue on my driver's license, but that's of course me answering the question. So, um, I think that they, are blue. uh, do you like parents? That's an interesting question. Coffee. Uh, I guess I do. Uh, I had an opportunity when I worked uh, as a stage manager in a magic show to have to once in a while round up some animals. And there was a parrot that was – I think it was – it just looked like a – it was probably – it just looks like a parrot to me. But it's kind of like a maybe just for me a generic term, but it wasn't like an owl. And I would have to go get that parrot and uh, handle it at one point in the show. And then even when when we were backstage, for example, before the show started, the parrot was back there. And I even have a picture, I think, on my personal Facebook page with me standing there like 15 years ago. I look like a little kid. I look like I'm 15 in the picture. But it was probably from around 2007 with this bird on my shoulder. And me and the bird uh, got along really well and it never pooped on me. So I'm guessing that it, it liked me too. Hello, I'm on what's going on. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. for. And if you see anybody there in green uh, in the chat, those are people who are members of this channel. Please consider joining so you can get into the green as well. Okay, Twinkle, long time cheese fan. Hello, Tina. Coffee like cockatoos and macaws. Yes. Might have been it was an all white bird coffee sup Jill the real does the Super Bowl still have really high budget t v commercials it does uh, it's very expensive a lot of people watching despite everything going on the last few years the real uh the nFL uh is easily the most popular league in the United States and yes the Super Bowl commercials are very very expensive I will say that Uh, having watched a few Super Bowls that most of those commercials don't end up being very good, but they, those companies pay a lot of money to be there. Coffee says sounds like an umbrella cockatoo. Maybe it was white. I would say it was about mm, this big. See my hands probably about this big, probably about a foot tall, something like that. Or maybe taller than that maybe 14 inches 16 inches tall very mild-mannered i wasn't afraid of it very cool board very cool bird and it like i said it was part it was owned by one of the magicians and it just kind of hung out back there and was very tame so cockatoo all right coffee So uh, what's been going on in Ed's life since you all saw me last, last Monday? We are now well into 2023, and I've already played a very horrible round of disc golf down there at Maximo on, what was it, on Friday morning. It was not good. Started off well, went bad really quickly, and then just continued to be bad uh, giving myself a break, I really did not get to practice as much as I wanted over, for example, over December. Of course, I was in Pennsylvania for a week and, and December was a really ugly month here anyway. And then I had a lot of unfound work to do and just kind of things piled up and tried to do some practicing last week, but Friday was not good. I've kind of, mentally tried not to be too hard of myself there. Now this weekend, I do have uh, another one round tournament over at my local chorus at Taylor. I would hope to play better there than I did down at Maximo, but I hope to get some throwing in tomorrow, but tomorrow's going to be a very busy unfound day. If not, I'll get some throwing in on Wednesday as long as it's nice that it would be nice to maybe practice both days. Have quite a few rounds of disc golf lined up, but nothing where I'm technically going out of town. However, a friend of mine has um, been very kind that there's going to be a tournament in Lakeland, which is like an hour and a half that way east, And he's offered uh, his house up to me for me to stay there. Um, So I'm going to take him up on that. I really could drive back and forth. It's no big deal. But he opened his home to me for free. I can't pass that up. So um, it's really – it's not really out of town. But everything else I've signed up for so far is just drivable. I I can drive there and back. And that's kind of just the cut down on the expenses just a little bit. Because once again, in 2022, uh, the amount of money I spent on disc golf was more than it should be. <laughs> Especially considering, uh, you know, what we're, we're trying to do here at Unfound. So... Disc golf, um not good on Friday. Hopefully it'll be better this weekend. I have a lot of I'm gonna have a lot of chances over the next few months to get kind of back into the swing of things. And you do have to remember I won five tournaments in the divisions I was playing last year, which is more than I could have ever suspected. So I felt real good about that. Um if I can make that happen again this year, then of course this would be a very good year, I think, for me. But I think it's going to take a little more work than the work I'm putting into it right now. Um, so moving on, uh, I, I joked around. I know many of you are friends with me on Facebook, on my personal page. You know by now, if you are friends with me, that rarely do I talk about my podcast on there. I really do try to keep, for the most part, things separate I, I just don't want to get into one of these things that I'm always uh on my personal page always promoting the podcast promoting I have all the opportunities in the world to promote the podcast everywhere else and so for my personal page on Facebook you will see me post about anything but uh on this podcast even though I know all of my friends who who, who are on there who know me I uh, know what I do, but I made a joke uh, the middle of last week. It must have been that uh, my dad had gotten me a hundred dollar gift certificate for Walmart for Christmas, and I've used it to buy an air fryer. Now I went over to my local Walmart. I was looking for a particular brand. I'd researched it, decided on the one I wanted. They didn't have that one in stock over there, so I just came home and ordered and ordered it online. And I think it's supposed to be here by the end of the week. But yeah, I got my first air fryer. And I made the joke that, uh, pardon me for a while, while I take some time to uh, get over these feelings of domestication. And I joke about that because I am a single guy, I am a bachelor, And with a $100 Walmart gift certificate, I go buy an air fryer. Boy, things have changed. This just shows, you know, just a few years ago, you would have not caught me cooking anything. Ever. Ever. Not using uh, a toaster, not using an oven, not using a microwave, nothing. Nothing. But just gener just very gently, cooking has worked its way into my life. It's kind of weaselled its way in, like I like I left the back door unlocked and it kind of slipped in in the middle of the night or something. And now I'm cooking chicken wings. I've been doing that for a while now. It- cooking ch- chicken wings in a pot in oil on the stove. I've been doing that for a while now. I'm- been able to mess around with some different recipes for sauce, although I have to really watch that because of my food allergy issues and my growing FODMAP issues and my lactose intolerance issues, which I'm going to be working on that this year as well. That's I got to really get that under control. Um, but I'm I'm very healthy. Don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. But I'm also have my George Foreman grill that I use all the time now. Of course, I've been using it for steaks, although I haven't had any steaks at home recently. But for uh, cooking chicken breasts, hamburgers, hot dogs, this Foreman Grill gets used at least three or four times a week. And uh, now I'm getting, and of course, I've been using the skillet to, to cook chicken breasts as well. Kind of move the chicken breasts over to the skillet with some olive oil and everything, that's been going fantastically. And now I'm getting an air fryer. I just don't know myself anymore. It is crazy. But I've heard so many things, good things about it uh, from my sister Diane Charles' mother and other people. And even when I posted that, I got a huge number of comments. Oh, Ed, you're gonna love it, and and we'll see what I can do with it. We'll see um, what I because with my dietary complications and obstacles that I have to avoid, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that I that I can't eat, and so. I can eat all the meat in the world and I can eat potatoes and a lot of things. So I think that with this air fryer, there are things I'm going to be able to put in there. Of course, it's a lot neater, not as messy as cooking with real oil, for example, chicken wings. Although I think I'm still going to do that, but I ordered an air fryer and it's a, I was told, you know, make sure you get a a decent size one. So I ordered a five quart. Um, five quart fryer, I forget the brand name right now. I didn't put it in my notes, but, um, so I'll be able to tell you about that within the next few weeks about what I'm putting in the air fryer and how that is all going. Twinkle says, uh, cooking can be quite fun. I do have fun with it, Twinkle. I, I'm not going to lie. I do have fun with it, especially with the, the chicken wings uh, with, uh, you know, putting the wings in there and all the oil bubbling and everything. It's just, and I love chicken wings so much that it is fun. It can be fun. Uh, You know, the issue continues to be that I eat the stuff faster than I cook it. And then you start wondering about, you know, the time put into all of it. That's something that still continues. And that come to my mind. And that's one of the reasons that, for so many years, I avoided cooking because it's so much work. It takes you half hour to cook something, and then you eat it in ten minutes. Seems a bit inefficient, but this is uh, you're, you're really kind of what I have to do now because um, I think that, you know I've just had some body changes, and with uh, growing lactose intolerance. And gluten issues and all these things that I'm going to try to um, take some of my sister's advice who has the same issues with um, subscribing to this enzyme company that you can put things on your food and it's easier for them to – certain things to digest. So I think I'll be able to eat some of the things that my body can't handle. But maybe also I should give it a shot of avoiding these things altogether just because. And do I really have to do this through, you know, trickery? I know it's, it's, I think it's perfectly safe, but it's a little bit of trickery, I guess too. It's not so much lactose stuff. I, you know, I love ice cream, but it's very easy for me to avoid it. I can avoid milk. of course I can get oat milk or, Almond milk, which is nasty, or or something else. It's not really milk. And uh, it's only soft cheeses that I have to avoid. But avoiding dairy products is not that difficult. But when you get into the FODMAP stuff, if you were to look for people who have this FODMAP issue, if you were to look at the list of everything that you're not supposed to eat, It's like every just about every healthy thing on the face of the earth. Fruits, vegetables, it's crazy. So we'll see how this air fryer works its way into what I'm doing and how this uh, can help me eat things that don't make me – be irregular let's put it that way jasmine says just spray it before using it it can be a nightmare and wash it when you are finished okay jasmine marketing i'm a single guy as well i use my air fryer toaster oven almost exclusively i haven't turned on my oven in a couple years i'm liking that mark um okay carrie good to have you back good to see you carrie hey carrie how's um uh, my little man uh, bentley doing how's how's he how's Bentley doing. Everybody wants to know, especially me. Okay, moving on. Uh, Since you saw me last, I've I've been to the gun range a couple times. I got to try out my new uh, Caltech Sub-2000 that I showed off last week. Fantastic. I was shooting it with just the stock sights on it up to about 100 feet. Pretty accurate. The only issue is that The way it's built with the ears, uh, ear protection I have, it kind of wants to knock the one out. So had some uh, ringing going on in my right ear for a couple days. So now I've finally made the move over to getting the kind of uh, ear protection that you actually stick in, into your ears. And so you don't have to wear like the headphones anymore. And I think that that will uh, alleviate that. And I tried them out at the gun range yesterday, and the the in-ear ones uh, worked uh, really well. I think they're going to be good, although they're, like, disposable. You shouldn't use them, like, every time. So you get, like, a a bag of them and then use them thrown out, use the next one thrown out, and then you have to buy another bag, which is really no big deal. Because they give you quite a few in one bag, and they're going to last for a while. So that all worked out. I'm shooting very well. Um, both, uh, the sub 2000 going to continue to work on it. Am I going to be able to get to the gun range this week? I may, maybe on maybe Wednesday morning, maybe Thursday morning, maybe Friday morning, uh, try to get over there with the gun and work on it again. And I'll have better ear protection and We'll see how it goes. But so far, it's just very smooth. Like it a lot. My friend Carla was thinking about getting one. She shot it. She doesn't... uh, Unfortunately, she doesn't think it's for her. um, Because she does a lot of camping. And she wanted kind of a rifle that you can easily carry. It's not too uh, heavy. You can maybe put it in a backpack or something. And... Certainly the kel fits all of those requirements, but she just didn't like shooting it. As I stated before, you really have to get your head down on the, the stock to really aim it correctly, and she just was not into that at all. Although I think she shot it fine, it just wasn't comfortable for her, so it's probably not going to work for her, but she got a chance to try one out without having to buy one. Whereas I bought it, uh, even though I had the ear protection issue, I love it. It's exactly what I was looking for. So I'm all excited about it. Uh, Puma says, love my air fryer so much faster than the oven. Bentley is doing very well. I'm so happy to hear that. Carrie, uh, Carrie, when was the last time you saw Bentley? And when are you going to get to see him again? Rockford, when I was in my twenties, living in a shoebox apartment in San Francisco, I stored my CD collection in my oven. They were never endangered Rockford. That's the bet. That's a, fantastic story. Sheree agrees. That's funny. Good one, Rockford. Nicely done. That's so creative. Love it. So, uh, yeah, I'll get to the gun range probably. Uh, I've made a commitment being that I have this membership. I had a membership at this place like a year and a half ago for a year and just did not get over it enough and kind of blew them, just blew the membership, you know, money away. So, when I re-signed up, I think maybe what was it, October? I said, Ed, you gotta go. You're a gun owner, and part of being a responsible gun owner is getting to the to the range, working with your guns at least once a month, and you know, stay in practice. That's you know one of my beliefs. If you're going to own a gun, you gotta go shoot it. You have to practice. If you're not willing to go to the range and practice at least once a month, you probably shouldn't own a gun. Because it's just probably then going to just get you in trouble. It's going to get stolen. You're going to try to use it if somebody attacks you and it's going to get taken off of you. All these things. Just don't even own one. So I'm trying to you know, follow my, you know, say as I do as I do, do as I say, not do as I do. I'm trying to do doing as I say. And, uh, Carrie a video chat with him the other day. Hopefully we'll get to actually see him in the next few days. Awesome. Carrie. All right. Uh, today, my brother and I went to the Meekam auction over in Kissimmee. You can watch it's going on right now. I think on the motor trend channel, if you get that channel and that's over two hours. It's really just two hours if there wasn't any traffic, but it's like two and a half hours cause you have to go through Tampa and then you get near Orlando and it's all crazy but my brother Brian and I got there at about 9:30 this morning and we're there till maybe quarter to 4 something like that there must be i don't know 2000 cars there something some crazy number of cars and it was fantastic we we this is maybe the third maybe the fourth time in the time i've moved to florida that we've gone i think the the last time we went was 2021. Because I know we, we had to wear masks when we were over there. So that would have been two years ago. But today was a perfect day to go look at a bunch of beautiful, beautiful vehicles. And we had a great time, a lot of great stories and everything. But I want to share, um, I want to share a funny story with all of you, a great driving story that, you know, I haven't told this story for like a long time, but it came up while I was with my brother Brian today. Um, you should know that my my um, mother's side of the family, the Rivadis, were in the car dealership business for a long time. It was her father, his name is Frank, my grandpa Frank, who started the business way back in like the 1930s or something. And my family was in the car dealership business well up into the 2000s and they've That side of the family is now moving on to other things. And I actually worked there after I got out of college in 93 until May of 98 when I decided to move to Las Vegas. But my grandfather ran the business for a long time and then he kind of got out of it. He had a heart attack, he had some health issues like in the 70s. He kind of stepped away. And it was really my uncle uh, Ron who was already in the business, my mother's brother, and then my grandpa Frank's other two brothers who kind of then ran the business for many, many years together. Well, my grandpa, Frank still, you'd have to know him, was still very involved in the business and it always go down there, even though he had no more control or anything anymore. He was always down there seeing what everything was going on. One of the things he would do is when we would do dealer trade. So somebody would come in, want a car, want to buy a car, from the dealership here in Leechburg, but let's say there was a Chrysler dealership somewhere else that had it a a well way. And then so you do a dealer trade. You call them up. Hey, you have this car. And there was a computer that was all networked and everything, even in the 1980s. This uh, story takes place sometime, I think in the summer of 1987, I think. It was certainly 87 sometime. So... But even back then, there was like a computer network between dealerships, and so you could look at the the cars on some other dealer's lot, and so you do dealer trades. Uh, you'd want their car; they'll take one of your cars back, and you, and you trade a dealer trade. Well, customer came in and wanted a what was it? A Dodge Shadow. Shelby Turbo. And the reason this story even came up is because uh, we saw one of them today. There was one at this auction, and that's what cued me, and I told this. I don't think I'd ever told my brother this story before. Well, the dealership was in State College. So we're in like western – 45 minutes away from Pittsburgh in western Pennsylvania. State College is like three hours away. But the thing was, is that the dealer didn't want anything back. So it would take two people to drive out to State College and then pick the car up and then they drive back in the car you drove up in and the car that's actually going to get sold, this Dodge Shelby Turbo. And, you know, and I guess for the 1980s, those were good looking cars and they were fast for what they were. So my grandpa Frank would would take part in these dealer trades once in a while. He would be the one who would drive somewhere and pick up the car and drive it back. And I, I would have to say at the time, in 1987, my grandfather was about, man, he was born in what, 1912? It's probably about 70 through 5, something like that. I think he was born in 1912. This is 1987. That's about 75. And I'm like 16 years old. So, and once in a while, I would now that I could drive, you know it would be time good time for me and him to kind of hang out'd go on these dealer trades together. so we drove out to state college to pick up this dodge Shelby turbo, and I had not even been driving. I got my license in august September of th- nineteen eighty six so I had not even been driving for a year, so we get out there we took. We're driving like a Ford Taurus, a used Ford Taurus out there to get this other car and then we'd come back. We get out there, the car, the Dodge Shelby Turbo was a five speed. It was a stick, manual transmission. Of course, Tauruses, for the most part, were automatics. And I, at that point, had never driven a stick before, ever. No training, never tried it, nothing. So it was just understood. I'll drive the Taurus back. He'll drive the Dodge Shelby Turbo. And what we were going to do is we were going to actually take the car to Monroeville where the customer had already done all the paperwork and everything. We were just going to drop it off at his work in Monroeville, which is about an hour from Leechburg. No problem. So we get in the cars and we leave the dealership. All the paperwork's done. We get in. I'm guessing he's, you know, this is the days before GPS and everything. We had a map or whatever. So he leaves I follow him he's in this Dodge Shelby Turbo with um Dodge Shadow Turbo with a stick and I'm driving this used Taurus with an automatic. But our tradition was that we always st- stopped at Burger King to eat on our way back. It was a tradition with me and my grandfather. We went to Burger King so many times in the 1980s together. So we stopped there and for some reason I gave him the keys or maybe he asked for the keys to the Taurus for some reason. I gave him the keys to the Taurus. Don't really remember how that happened. All I know is I didn't have the keys. So we eat. We come out. He gives me the keys back. And we park beside each other. And what happens is he goes out and gets into the Taurus, the Ford Taurus. He kept the Taurus keys. He gave me the Dodge Shadow Shelby Turbo keys and left. Grandpa Frank, very good at this. His modus operandi of stranding people for various reasons. I have a bunch of stories like that. In fact, one of the stories that my dad and I still talk about to this day regarding Grandpa Frank is about that. That's Once again, this is my mother's father, who died in 1995. So he leaves in the Taurus. I'm stuck with the Dodge Shelby turbo keys. And remember, it's a manual transmission, and I have never driven a manual transmission before. Ever. Ever. Of course, this isn't time to do, no cell phones, nothing. He's gone. Poof, gone. Pulled out, gone. And so I have to figure out by myself, not only how to get back to drive to Monroeville without a map, but also try to figure out how to drive a stick car and not destroy it for the next two and a half hours driving it back to Monroeville. He left me standing there. I, uh, you know, I can. I guess I can talk about this thirty-five years later, but I do not even want to think about what I did to that clutch over the next two hours. It's, I know it's it's a very bad story. I know, but he left me stranded. I, I had he, and I know he did it on purpose. And he admitted he did it on purpose when I finally tr- tracked him down. That he did it on purpose. And it was one of those sink or swim type of things. You want to learn how to drive a stick? There you go. You know, just threw me right into the deep end with a stick in a new car, somebody's new car who the person has already spent the money on it. There you go. That was so grandpa Frank. You know, none of you never ever knew him. Uh, maybe Charles, maybe you remember meeting him, baby, back when you came out to the house night, you know, sometime before he died. Maybe you might remember meeting him way back in the mid 1990s. But um, that's why he did it. What better way to learn how to drive a stick but actually on the road where you are forced to learn how to drive it? Oh my gosh. I was stressed. Twinkle says, driving that car must have been very stressful. It was. All I knew was that you always had to pull out in first gear. (laughs) That's about the only thing I knew about driving a manual transmission car. But that was Grandpa Frank. If you all, all wanted to know the kind of guy he was, I mean, he was a very generous person, but he was a hard ass. And I, everybody, uh, friend or foe, at one time felt his his wrath, including myself, more than once. But that was him. And uh, he left me stranded in State College, Pennsylvania, with a car that I really, really couldn't, shouldn't have driven. And I figured out, I really don't remember... How I got back to Monroeville, because I know I didn't have a map. I, I don't even remember how I got. Somehow I figured out how to make it to Monroeville without a map. Because back then, once again, no GPS, no Waze, no Google, nothing. And you just, I don't even remember. Kerry said, but you learn how to drive when I did. And although I have not driven a stick for many years, I am a pretty good manual transmission driver, at least the last time I had a chance to do one. And in fact, the first vehicle I had in Las Vegas, I moved to Las Vegas. I was driving a Dodge Ram Charger, four-wheel drive with a four-speed manual transmission. That was the car I drove across the United States to move to Las Vegas in 1998. So I drove that car truck for a long time before I got some other vehicle when I lived in Las Vegas. So, uh, I actually became, um, a pretty good manual driver, but you know, who does that? (laughs) Who does that to their grandchild sticking them somewhere like that? Uh, Frank Rivati does that. Frank Rivati, uh, did that to many people in many different ways. Carrie says, it sounds like something my dad would have done to me. The real good thing he didn't teach the line team. You're a bullfighter or anything like that. Look at you. The real, just throw you in there. You'll figure it out. I know that's funny. The real drill. I learned how to drive a stick because my boyfriend was always drunk. Oh, sorry to hear that tree. And then Twinkle is uh, laughing at the reals comment. So I just, It's a story that I used to tell much more often back in my drag racing days. And of course that would have been in the 1990s. So this story would have been less than 10 years old at that point. But I haven't, I just completely forgot about it until I saw that car today. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that. So, and I told my brother, I I have to tell that story. Uh, during the live show tonight. I thought all of you might uh, be able to relate to that. Um, You know, I guess younger people today, you know, not as many cars come in manuals now. Whereas back in the 70s and 80s, especially for smaller cars like Cavaliers or, you know, Reliant K cars or Escorts, little cars like that, very commonly you you know, a lot of people bought them with, with manuals. And so I, I don't know if kids today really learn to drive sticks or not. But it, it, I think it's a great skill to have. And it seems to me that once she... And I think that was a really good car to learn on in retrospect because... Uh, was kind of notchy. The shifter was kind of notchy. It's front-wheel drive, which makes things a little notchier Because, and it was, it was a car with decent power but it had a turbo and so you really had the time when you shifted to make sure you hit the power curve the right way. Something, a lot of those things you would not maybe be concerned about in a different type of car. So it might have been the best kind of car ever to learn how to drive a stick on. I just don't know if it was great to learn it being that it was new and somebody had already paid for it. And I'm not sure that the owner of that car who bought that ever really did find out that the person who brought the car down to him at his office in Monroeville that day was a 16-year-old. Surely did not know I was driving a stick for the first time. I don't even know what the guy, it was a guy. I don't even know what, I don't even remember what his name was. Um. But yeah, there's that story. Hello, Deborah. what's up? Mark says, I had a Grandpa Frank also, and he taught me to drive a stick. Look at you, Mark. Wow. It was a 66 Dodge pickup with a loaded wagon of corn behind it. That easily could have been me, Mark. Uh, don't let my uh, city dwelling fool you. Uh, I used to help my grandfather in the, in the garden, and I have shoveled more than my share of manure in my life, I'm here to tell you. Charlie, it was, ni- uh, it was not a tree. Uh, 1988, so all things were possible. <laughs> Mark, my truck is an automatic, but the car I still drive today is a manual. Okay. I would love to get a manual car again. Uh, I think that might be interesting. Um, Sometimes the automatic maybe just seems a little too easy. So that's a car story. Uh, And maybe a lot of you have um, some funny first-time driving stories and so um that's my story okay so that ends the uh the personal life of ed part of this live show which i always start off with because i think a lot of people can relate to it and of course people in the podcast maybe a lot of people fast forward to it or maybe they only listen to this part so they can find out more about me i don't know But it's meant to entertain you. This is supposed to be, unlike the podcast, which I want it to be informative. It's news. I want you to learn learn something. Uh, I think you can tell with this live show. I think you can learn a lot from it. But there is certainly a large entertainment aspect to it, Uh, you know, telling a couple funny stories and things like that. Live show is, of course, a lot different than than the podcast. All right, moving on. Uh, Let's move to the unfound items real quickly. And then I certainly have some national news that I need to discuss tonight. First, the Evelyn Piper poll. Wow, we got a lot of um, very positive comments uh, regarding the Evelyn Piper episode, the first one for 2023. I thought that Millie and Debbie were excellent guests. Uh, Given that Debbie was the one who actually got to speak to her mother that day, I think certainly helped uh, everything so she could explain what she exactly heard. And uh, the Evelyn Piper episode has been very, very well received. And as I stated in the think tank last night, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, that... This is, I think, one of those disappearances that, although maybe some of the technicalities of her disappearance will fade over time, and that's nothing against Evelyn, but uh, we all know we can only keep so many technical details in our minds uh, on any particular disappearance, especially now that we've covered 277 of them. But I think what everybody is always going to remember about Evelyn Piper, oh yeah, she was the woman who said she was going to go to the Jerusalem or the Middle East or the Holy Land or Israel to get married out of nowhere. I think that's what's always going to be remembered uh, about her and how her daughter Debbie was like, you're going to do what? So the Piper poll that I put in the discussion group Uh, The main answer, the most popular answer, was that that, uh, her ex-husband, Larry, did this on his own. Certainly, I cannot argue with that answer. Now, in the think tank last night, a little more mixed, Uh, certainly everybody thought that Larry was a part of this, I think, every just about, although there was, uh, I think it might even been you, Rockford, who was open to the idea that could have been some stranger who did this. No facts to dismiss that. No facts to support that. No facts to dismiss that. I guess it's possible still. But uh, overall, I think people thought that Larry was involved, but we did, uh, of course, talk about Evelyn's son, James, quite a bit. Cannot ignore that. He went... Down there, moved right into the house without permission, spending her money, forging checks, all of that. Most importantly, did not help in trying to find his mother at all. So that was uh, much more of a mixture in the think tank last night. And if you'd like to be a part of it, please sign up at Patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. <clears throat> and then for me, uh, what did I write in the blog? As and I'm going to be doing that for a while. You should know. Uh, at least for the next month or two, I'm going to be talking about how, if you'd really like to see what I think about uh, a disappearance, please go to patreon.com and, and sign up. So you might as well get used to that um, at the end of every episode, and I'll just kind of maybe move that statement around as I see fit after the interview. I hope some of you will sign up just to see how my mind works. But I came to the conclusion, as I stated in the blog, this is a disappearance um, that it's a very schizophrenic disappearance to me. On one hand, it does seem like somebody was forcing Evelyn to say things on the phone. But on the other hand, she got to go into the bank by herself. But we then go back to, well, somebody was forcing her to maybe say something on the phone, but she was surely the one who came up with the idea of the, of going, you know, getting married in the Middle East. I mean, who's going to, who else would have thought of that? And especially given she's the one who said she wanted to get married in 1994, and she was also the one who stated she wanted to go to the Holy Land sometime. So what what are the odds that somebody else would combine those two things? It's probably Evelyn who, Evan who came up with that. So... Being forced, but she gets to pick the words. Being forced, but she gets to go into the bank by herself. It's like forceful with passive. You must do this. Well, I'm going to let you do this on your own. And this is what led me to believe that most likely two people were involved. One who really, really was forcing her. But then another person who she was trying to appease. And so I made the decision that it was a combination of Larry, who certainly would have been forceful, and her son James, who she wanted to appease or just wanted to make sure he didn't get in trouble, so she just went along with everything that was um, needed. That was my reasoning. So. Um, Rockford said, I wrote a comment to your blog explaining I've not had a chance to read it. I did see that you wrote something. I've not seen it yet, Rockford. Explaining my third party scammer reasoning. Still I favor your theory about Larry and James. Okay. Mark said, she mentioned her mother had $225,000 in her account. Is she saying the brother went through that much cash in that short amount of time? Um, it's not clear, Mark. All we know is that he was writing checks. I, I don't know if she. I think what it was, Mark, is that I don't think all that money was in a checking account. But I think what Debbie was saying is that even after the $10,000 in cash was taken out, there was still a lot of money in the bank. And there was some money in a checking account and that her son forged the checks, writing her signature until all the money in the checking account was gone. I do not believe that she had $200,000 in a checking account. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, but as I think Debbie said, still not sure what happened to all the money. The, the problem is that she didn't have a will or anything, and and most importantly, Debbie has no standing, even though she is a, a daughter um, without some sort of will or something. But I do not believe that the the son. Uh, wrote all that because I don't think, first of all, his name was on the account. So that's why he had to forge uh, the checks. Robert, in the same comment, I consider that going to get married in the Holy Land may have been more ominous, meaning suicide. That's interesting, Rockford. Hadn't considered that. Okay, so I think you can even see those in the chat, Rockford, uh was in the think tank last night, although Rockford um my um the way I remember it you didn't get in there until maybe later that you can see that uh, we did have a diversity of opinion in the think tank last night. Maybe we had a fantastic think tank last night. That's why you should be a part of it. We got a great discussion going among a, a small group of people and uh, it was a fascinating think tank, the, the, the topics we covered regarding Evelyn's disappearance. I want to remind all of you once again, uh, to, as you're, as you're watching this tonight or watching this in the replay, please give this video a thumbs up on your phone, on your iPad, on your regular tablet, on your laptop, whatever kind of laptop you may have. Hit that thumbs up. Thank you. Moving on. Uh had a, a a very good marketing talk this past week a, a woman a listener who i've spoken to many times before although not necessarily on marketing um came to me uh she's obviously been very paying very close attention to some of the things i've been saying on this live show and elsewhere over the last couple months about 2023 and wanting to change things up and there's going to be some changes and me talking to a couple of my assistants uh, about doing some changes and going through a lot of what Unfound does, taking a, a deep look at it: is it paying off? Is it worth it? Is it efficient? And this woman, a listener, contacted me uh, saying that she thinks that she can help with the marketing of the of Unfound, and this really caught my ear because. I realize all of you do a great job of um, spreading the word. Uh, I have never spent one cent on, on advertising of Unfound at all. No Facebook ads, no Google ads, nothing ever. And Unfound has gotten to a pretty good place. Um, I would say in the top 3% of all podcasts that exist in the world, all by word of mouth. That's not, that's not bad. And whereas I think that there are many podcasts out there that do maybe spend a little money on some Facebook ads, Google ads, doing uh, you know other things. And I've not done any of that. But it's something that I um, am considering. And so this woman approached me about – uh having a conversation about that. And so we had a really good conversation. When was that? Last Wednesday. And um, we'll see where it goes. She is going to get back to me. She actually contacted me today, I, um, telling me that she was going to be sending something to my email. And I'll be looking from really, really looking forward to that about a very specific plan, not just, you know, very generalities. Well, you just need to tweet more or you just need to post on Facebook more. Or you just need to TikTok more or whatever else, but a more comprehensive plan regarding everything. Because this is one of the problems that, um, that you run into is, is I've found is that you don't, really have podcasting is really does not have anybody out there who are experts on marketing because you know how I know because I've tried to find them and I have been willing to even buy an hour or two of one of these people's time, in you know, a time, you know, pay them by the hour, just to talk to them. Despite, all of these YouTube ch- uh, channels and YouTube videos about how to market, it's all crap. All right, these people are really, what it essentially comes down to, in my opinion, for people like that, it's just like I said, well, you just have to tweet more. You just have to do this more. You, there's no specific plan. They don't have the ability to really, really look at the numbers of your podcast, how big your audience is, how often you put po- uh, an episode out, what you're doing on YouTube, you're, and all put that together and then look at and then see where you're lacking. Because that's what real marketing people do in businesses. They can look at a company's numbers and see the demographics that are being missed and why. You don't have buddy in podcasting who can do that. Despite what they say, because I've looked, I've actually even put up, uh, like, uh, what do you do it? A post like a place like upwork.com. I've even posted an ad on Upwork looking for a person like that. And if you go to upwork.com, there are people on there who talk about marketing and podcasting and everything else. I didn't get one taker or I got a couple takers, but like I said, they're really not what I'm looking for. I asked them specifically, can you do this? Oh, we really don't do that. Well, if you can't do that, you can't help me. You can't help the podcast. Because this is what real marketing people do. Not just, oh, well, we don't need to look at your numbers, you just need to do this. No, I want you to look at my numbers and tell me, you know, where it looks like you know we can do better, given that I, I'm an expert in in uh, disappearances. That's what I do. Somebody comes to me with a disappearance and gives me all the facts and everything that's gone on over the last 20 years and why the investigation is stalled. Pretty quickly, I can tell them why. I'm pretty, you know, I can give them some new ideas and things. That's what I do. Even though I know the really visible part is me interviewing people. I prefer, prefer to view Unfound today as now after six plus years is I'm not a podcaster who covers disappearances. I'm now a missing persons expert who does a podcast. It's like flipped. It's now flipped. And here's what I think I know. I know more about missing persons cases after covering them and reading about them and jumping into them and, than anybody knows about looking at podcast figures and telling where a podcast can do better. pretty sure. So on that note, got to talk to this woman last week, told her all of these things, and I, I think she I, I'm not don't know if she's to that um level of expertise. But I know that she is a, uh, a longtime listener of Unfound. She cares about the podcast. She knows what we're trying to do here. She understands my thinking. We communicated very well. And so I maybe we together can get to that point. I'm hoping. So I'm going to be I, – I think I'm going to be getting an email from her from in the next couple of days – And uh, I'm very excited about it. Very excited about it. So, I had that talk last week, and it's been a talk I've been wanting to have with somebody who is very uh, energetic and passionate uh, about Unfound for a long time. So, uh, and I will um, continue uh, to keep you posted on that, but we must've talked, uh, I don't know, over an hour or something. I mean, we went for a while. She said a lot of stuff. I said a lot of stuff and, uh, it did get recorded. So as everything on zoom does, so I can go back through it and listen to it. Although I've just been so busy, I haven't had a chance to do that yet, but, and that might even be irrelevant given that I'm more interested in after our talk she's going to send me I asked for three specific uh plans uh that we can put into motion this year very very specific ones so as i said i will let you know how it goes moving on uh i you probably heard hopefully you did Uh, In the Unfound News section of this past Friday's episode of Evelyn Piper, that I have gone through and now comments are allowed on, I think, most. I'm not going to say, oh, maybe I missed a couple videos here and there. But now I would say 95% of the videos that are on YouTube on the Unfound Podcast channel are now uh, available for comment. I know some of you have been with Unfound for a long time, probably think, well, it's about time, Ed. But um, finally decided to do that because uh, a while ago, when I said that I wasn't going to do that, the reason was that it's, it's hard to manage these things. And what I decided to do last year... Uh, is that at some point I started allowing comments for new episodes that were posted there. And I just wanted to see how it was going to go. Do we get a lot of trolls? Uh, People responding or people commenting? Is it going to be something where it's just, you know, crap post after crap post after crap post after crap post, or was it going to be something uh, more uh, substantial and more, more, um, uh, you know, nice, (laughs) you know, in depth, you know, uh, really topic driven and it has been. So I I said, if everybody behaves, then I would allow comments on other videos. And so I'm following through on that promise. And so if you've ever wanted to comment on any of the past episodes that have been posted on YouTube and all of Every episode that Unfound is done is on YouTube, right here on YouTube. If you've ever wanted to post any comments in any of those videos, now is your chance to do so. Going way back even to the first episode of Susie Lyle. Now, in the process of doing that, I was a little stunned to discover how many videos, public videos that we had on YouTube... That only had limited ad access, meaning YouTube had decided that there was some content in the video that made it not that made that made it not uh, available for advertising. And so, in the process of doing that, I resubmitted those particular videos to YouTube, and I'm very happy to say that, and you should say it was quite a number. It was like over a hundred videos on the YouTube channel that YouTube decided no that you can't these for some reason or another they didn't want ads posted on there. And luckily I would say that now 95% of those now are ad available. Which really helps with our numbers, helps with the money that Unfound can make from YouTube. And it was just not something that, that I really realized. I think really I, I didn't realize it because pretty much the, the the episodes that have been posted for the last year or two years, no issues at all. I make them available for ads and I never get any negative feedback from YouTube on them. So I really didn't know it was an issue until I started going back and going through the allowing comments and it's like on the same screen, it's like no ad, no ad availability, no ad availability, no ad uh, availability. And luckily they do, do give you an opportunity to request a review and that's what I did for every one of them. And like I said, there may be now, of course we have a ton of videos on here. There may be now like 15 videos that aren't aren't eligible. I don't know why. I'm uh, looking at the ones that they accepted and the ones they rejected. I can't tell why. I just there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. I don't know, but being that we've gone down from like over a hundred that weren't available to about fifteen, that's pretty good. I, I can live with that. So once again, if you ever wanted to comment on YouTube about any, of any uh, any of Unfound's episodes or even the map analysis videos or anything else. You can do that now, and I hope you will take advantage of that. Uh, let's move on to the national stuff. Uh, we're now like an hour, almost ten minutes in, and I just want to um, talk about a few things. We're going to start uh, with something kind of fun first. You know, I love uh, as maybe maybe some of you can tell, I'm a big Colombo fan, and I have. 40 some episodes of Columbo recorded on my DVR (laughs) and I watch them randomly. Uh, I'll I'll put them on when I'm doing work here, work that does it. Maybe I'm not, I can't write with any sounds or anything, but maybe when I'm looking something up or, you know, doing some sort of thing, uh, a friend found, I can have the TV on in the background and, um, so I usually have like Columbo episodes on or something like that. I know Kathy and Rockford are talking back and forth about uh, the Middle East uh, and the and the Piper episode. Thank you, but Carrie, saying I'm off the bed. Oh, it has been a very long, draining week. We'll come back and watch on the replay later. Everyone, have a great night. All right, Carrie, good night to you. Thanks for uh, stopping in tonight and giving us an update on Bentley. Thank you so much. But on that, what I where I'm going with this regarding Colombo is that I had a chance to watch both Knives Out movies since last Monday, and I know that the first one that came out uh, a few years ago did very good in the theaters. It made like three hundred some million dollars on a forty million dollar budget, which is spectacular. And it's a whodunit, I'm not going to give any. Don't worry, I'm not. Anything away, I would never do that. But uh, I had that one; it, it had been on regular TV, and I DVR'd it. I finally got to watch it, and man, it was good. It was it was really really good. Uh, you know, it's really weird, weird seeing Daniel Craig not playing James Bond. It's like a totally opposite, even though he's a detective, totally opposite type of character. Um the first one was real good. And then I have Netflix. So I just, you know, it just became available on Netflix. Uh, it's called, the uh, the glass onion, a knives out mystery. And it is really good too. But I will tell you now that, uh, now that I'm a true crime podcaster and these disappearances, a lot of them, of course, in some of them, it's very obvious what happened, but some of them, there's a lot more questions. It's really weird watching whodunit stories or movies when you now kind of do this in real life for a living. And so I found myself uh, really, really trying to, of course, maybe anybody watching these movies is trying to figure out what the ending is before the ending happens. But I also have to think that it's kind of a unique position to be doing this in real life and then watching a movie it's the same thing. It's a mystery what really happened here. And if you have not seen either of them, you should see them. I think you can, if you don't can't watch the first one, uh, I think you can watch the second one and not really feel, because they're not really connected to each other. Although I think there is a little bit of a mention of the first one and the second one. You can watch the second one, the Glass Onion one, First, I think, but they're both really, really good. Very entertaining. Uh, very complex. You gotta listen. You gotta listen to every word. You gotta watch every every uh, scene very carefully. They are, I guess, you could say, very Agatha Christie like, uh, and and I, I say that in a good way. But and nothing really, you know, they're movies. You know, writers get to sit around forever and figure out the most complex, tricky um, plot that they can. But I would not say that they went overboard uh, with these plots. Of course, some, some movies are, are, are tricky and they're just too tricky, too tricky, 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 and it feels very, very contrived. Neither of these movies in my opinion, felt contrived. Now, could they happen in real life? No. But it walked that very fine line of being being a good, really mystery, a good mystery that, um, you know, um, doesn't keep things from you so you can't figure it out. There are clues if you're paying attention. And so that's what's always good. So if you haven't seen them, I would recommend them. Uh, I don't really know if they are appropriate for children, but uh, I forget what the ratings are on them. But uh, both are very good. And it's it's great to see some of these actors and actresses uh, be in roles you don't usually see them in. Uh, of course, especially Daniel Craig, uh, having played James Bond for so many years, doing something totally different, and uh, I, I thought that everybody in each of them did great, very entertaining, great mysteries, funny, all sorts of stuff, very visually appealing. All right, so if you want to check those out, I would do so because they are crime related, uh, and in both. Um, murders happen and Daniel Craig is this well-known private detective and he has to figure out what happened and Daniel Craig is quite a character. Let's move on. Um, I want to talk about yes. not, of course, the, this Idaho massacre is coming to a close. I think we have a long way to go here. Um, Not necessarily sure if it's going to get to a trial. Just, you know, we can never be too sure of that. Sometimes we're sure, sure, sure it's going to go to a trial. And then right before, even after they've picked the jury, the defendant decides to plead guilty very much. Maybe we think about Carlos Rodriguez pleading guilty to the murder of Zoe Campos, like what happened uh, last year. So we don't, I'm not sure where the Brian coberger trial him being charged and uh, I don't I'm not sure where it's going to go I would suspect though that if there's going to be a trial it's not going to happen this year but what do, what do we have we found out and see this is one of the reasons that I don't like to speculate on stuff like this uh, I've just I I don't know if I've actually learned this the hard way, but as a person who does this 24-7, and of course a lot of other True Crime podcasters do what they do 24-7, they should know better than to go off on endless speculation. The reason they do it is, of course, to get views and listens and clicks and shares and just... Um, you know, just because. And as I've stated many times, you don't need to have a lot of brains to speculate and, and theorize and all of these things. The real work in all of this is finding new facts. This is one of the reasons, let on Unfound, for the actual podcast that is played for the public. We don't speculate. We um, might try to guess at a couple of things, but when it comes to You know, really getting into who did it and and all that. We just stay away from it. And this is what kind of frustrates me. um, Because I know and, and reading articles that have been out there a variety of places, more mainstream places, less mainstream places, all this speculation when Brian Koberger wasn't even known yet. And it's just people talking and they do it because they know that it's going to get a lot of attention. Well, sometimes giving the audience or the people what they want, maybe is not the best thing for the audience. And I even say that about all of you, because what ends up happening is that when you start speculating and everything, because eventually if somebody is caught, you're probably going to end up not looking too smart. And I think that's what's happening here. Because I can look at, and I don't even, of course we believe that 60 some percent of the disappearances that unfound are murders. I think there are good reasons to think that, although we don't technically talk about that on the podcast. I let all of you decide for yourselves. But I know that, given just the disappearances that we've covered on found that were eventually solved, what do you find out? A lot of times after the fact, you find out the police were withholding things. And so we now know now that Brian Koberger is in c- custody, that the police knew a lot more than what they made public. I'm not blaming them, but when I look at all of the speculation that was done over the last month, did these other people not realize that? They not know that... Um, and It just seems so shallow. Um, it, it just does. It, it, it ends up, they're just talking about it um, because people want to hear about it. Me, I did talk about it. But you also know that it would... I didn't get to it in most of these live shows until like 45 minutes, an hour or something into the show. It wasn't like I let off with it. I'll get to it. I'll talk about it. (coughs) Always with the idea that probably a lot of what the police know we're not going to know. But what do we now know? We now know that uh, one of the roommates did see. And we now know that They had been tracking him for a long time, and they had used cell phones and, of course, the video of the car and all of these things. And what we also learned, contrary to, I think, what a lot of people talking about this have put out there, is that this guy was not some type of supervillain, and instead, he was super stupid no matter him going for his doctorate in criminal justice and no matter him taking classes from what was her, um That professor who was on Dr. Grace Telesco. So Kathleen Ramsland, despite, 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 he's just uh, an evil, evil, horrible person who left so many breadcrumbs behind that it it was pretty much inevitable that he was going to be caught. We now know that. Whereas of course for that, that month everybody's thinking, Oh, this, you know, I said, you just don't know. Of course you heard me say it. Don't be surprised if this doesn't get solved for a while. You know, I, I really never have any expectations regarding these things. It took, you know, how many years did it take to finally, for police to finally figure out that Sherry Papini was lying, even though I think a lot of people thought that anyway. I brought up the example of Missy Beavers. Still going to be unsolved seven years later, even though there's video and everything else. Just can't make predictions regarding these things. I said, don't be surprised if this goes for a while. It didn't go for a while. But now we know why. But it wasn't – but really it was because Brian Koberger is just not that good of a killer. He can certainly stab people, and it's very, very sad, very horrible. I can't imagine it. But the cell phone stuff, the car stuff, he left the sheath of the knife, knife behind it, had his DNA on it, on and on and on. And this is one of the reasons, this should be a very good example for all of you out there who um, still believe that Israel Keys was some sort of supervillain going all over the United States and killing people and getting away with it. That's what you thought about him. Just have to remember, he got caught too. Why being stupid? Using that murdered, the girl he murdered, using her credit card or ATM card to to pay for his travel, and they just tracked him down using card that Israel Keys was using. Pretty easy. Good work, police work. But not exactly the same as as catching a supervillain. He really, really, really planned this out and made things very difficult. It doesn't seem that Brian Koberger made this difficult at all, but I, I don't want to dismiss the police work that... Uh, was done as well. They could have easily bungled it like it seems many police departments have bungled disappearances that we've covered. And we also have to remember if Brian Koberger was fascinated with Dennis Rader, also known as uh, BTK, what was it? Bind, Torture and Kill. That guy, remember, he got away with his crimes for a while too, but what kind him? Stupid stupid he actually believed that the police were telling the truth about how a computer works hey can i send you a disc and it won't let you know he actually asked the police this if i print something out and put it on a hard drive and send it to you you won't be able to tell wh- what computer was used and the police said no all the while knowing they knew that it would the answer was yes and that's how he got caught. And it showed that the computer was at this church and they finally figured out who he was. He actually thought the police were going to tell him the truth. Stupid. Stupid. Um, but this just just remind us of all these things that, uh, you know, how many, think about it. How many major media people on all the channels How many true crime people on YouTube and elsewhere all were going round and round. We think that this investigation is being bungled. How many times you hear that over the past month? We don't think they know what they're doing. Parents of the victims said this. All these people said all over the place. Oh, they should have solved this, but everything else. They don't know what they're doing. All the while, they were going step by step, putting the evidence together, making sure they had the right guy, making sure there were no mistakes making sure that there wasn't anything that they did that was illegal that could come back to haunt them in a trial or anything else. All the while, everybody, all, you know, the mob out there was claiming these police don't know what they're doing. You know, they're collecting DNA, they're collecting all of this stuff and did a great job. Sometimes though, these people want answers right away. I'm going to keep telling this to you over and over and over. Most people who are talking about these things don't know what they're talking about. They don't know. Now, on the other hand, if this these murders would have been unsolved for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, then maybe we should start looking at What exactly went on here? What what were there things that were missed? But people were already throwing all these law enforcement officers under the bus bus within days, within weeks. And I would urge you, anybody who you listened to, anybody who you watched over the last month who did that, you should not be listening or watching watching those people anymore. They don't know what they're doing. Whereas, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes for a while and not, not because they were bungling it. Sometimes these things are hard to do. Sometimes this is tough. We have to remember, if you don't know, the closure rate on murder cases in the United States is horrible. I don't know why that is. Not really my business, but it's like 36% or something. So as murder rate has gone down, the solving rate has gone down. Even though we have DNA and everything else today, it should be easier. Closure rate is not good. So that's really all I have to, to say about that. Um, Let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. I have to scroll up a little bit. Uh, Rockford, getting into true crime has significantly decreased my appetite for fictional whodunits. A quality thriller I'm still game, but the classic mystery is not as interesting as anyone else. Sheree agrees with Rockford. Really? Okay. Fiction is now the defense. Okay. All right. I guess I uh, stand opposed on that. Uh, Mark and in Indy says, "Well, I still think the odds are good that Coburger did the murders. I think there will not be DNA in the Hyundai, and there is an accomplice involved. Me and my wacky imagination." Okay. Um, Kathy says Rockford. The same thing has happened to me. Been watching ID Channel since about 2000. My appetite for fictional crime dramas dissipated quickly, though I still occasionally watch Perry Mason. You know, I, I will say that you know me. I don't watch true crime or listen to true crime, unless it has something to do with unfound work I'm doing. But I don't feel bad in watching or I guess watching mainly fictional stuff because I know that nobody really died. It's just a story. It's just entertainment. Uh, The people who, the guy who died, I'm just going to say it in the first Knives Out and the people who were murdered in the second Knives Out, the Glass Onion, they aren't real. So I don't feel too bad about that. But when it comes to the way real stuff is covered, you know I've been talking about this for a long time. Been, been. Uh, it's very frustrating. Tina's laughing at something. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at, Tina. Uh, Cherie, the trial will still be going on this time next year. Uh, will it even get started this year, do you think, Sheree? Do you think it will even get started this year? I um, mean, You have to remember, like, Tyler North's murder trial. What is that, in Kentucky or Tennessee? Uh, has not started yet. So um, maybe you have some more insight into that, Sheree. All right, I want to move on to this. I want to talk about this missing mother, and a, a lot has happened in this story. Uh, in the last, just the last 24 to 48 hours since I started working on this interview or this live show outline on Saturday. Uh, Anna Walshy, uh, 39, was reported missing on Wednesday by her husband. An employer, police said, she was reported last seen by a family member around 4 or 5 a.m. on Jan- January 1st at her Cohasset home and was supposed to take a ride to the airport for a flight to Washington, D.C., the police have not been able to confirm that she took a ride share. And police confirmed she never boarded a flight at Boston Logan International Airport last week. So she was supposed to be going somewhere on early January 1st, so not too long after New Year's uh, 2023 started. And that um, that's what got this all. So uh, So that would have been... Sunday, and then finally on Wednesday is when a family member alerted police that she was missing. And so far, there's no electronic footprint. Police said local and state police continued to search in Cohasset on Saturday for while she an executive with a property management company in D.C. So she lived in Massachusetts, but worked, I guess, in D.C., who would travel to the city several times. And police were conducting a ground search near her home police canine unit has been involved in the search. She had originally had a flight to D.C. booked for January 3rd, but police were informed she was attempting to head down earlier to deal with some type of emergency. I'll come back to that. There have been no signs of her in D.C. so far. Uh, Her husband and her employer are cooperating in the investigation. At this point, it's a missing person investigation. We're trying to locate Anna and get her home safely. We have nothing to support anything suspicious or criminal. This was at some point last week. That has changed. Now, what caught my eye in this particular article, and this is before anything that happened in the last 24 to 48 hours, here is a line from the article from last week. On the three-day lag between when she was last seen and reported missing, Quigley said it's not unusual for her to work long hours and not contact her home. That makes no sense. I'm just telling for any police who are out there, this type of statement when a woman who has children is going, going to work a couple states away, and then somebody – she's missing. This wasn't she who told them this. This is somebody else who told them this. They said, oh, yeah, that's not unusual. I mean she can be away for days and never contacts us. That should, that should be a huge red flag. And I highlighted, I I had this article saved for like three or four days now. And I highlighted that part when I read it, maybe last Thursday. When I was still, you know, I was in the air, I knew I was going to talk about this. And I highlighted, I put it in red because it caught my eye. Just makes no sense. She's a mother, she has children, she's married. Yes, she goes out of town, but do we really believe it was not unusual for her? It was not unusual for her to not contact her house for three days once she goes somewhere else. If she's going from Boston to D.C., does anybody really believe that? Well, kind of now we know why that was put out there. That surely came from her husband. Oh, yeah, that's not unusual. I mean, she just goes out of town and she just calls us when she wants Um, we now know, and we have to remember, she has three boys between the ages of two and six, and she's not calling home to talk to her little boys. Maybe if they're teenagers, okay, maybe. But three boys between two and six, and she's allegedly, when she goes up town, she could go for days at a time without calling home, emailing home, FaceTiming home, Zooming with their kids. Come on unless she's like the worst mother in the world. So, um, and the friend described her as a loving, loyal wife. So here's what has um, happened since then. Now, this, as I stated, all of this I wrote before, like what happened in the last 24 to 48 hours. um. You know, she I, I put in here, what's suspicious to me is that she moved up the flight from the third to the first. Who would do that? Who would really plan a flight at like five in the morning on New Year's Day and move it up like that? And there was a report, well, she was going to take a ride share from her house to the airport. I said, how can we be sure she intended to take Uber or Lyft? Who, how, how do we know that? Who said that? Is there some Uber or Lyft driver who said he or she took her to the airport? Was there some electronic digital thing that they were able to collect that she had looked for an Uber or Lyft uh, ride at like four in the morning on January 1st? Is there any digital proof of that? Or is that just the husband's word? I wrote this, like I said, like four days ago, like on Thursday, Friday, when this article came out. This will all be very relevant in a moment if you're not sure, if you don't know what happened in the last 48 hours. And so I also read, or I also wrote in my notes, this is certainly a man-said type of disappearance. Husband says his wife wasn't supposed to go to D.C. to the third, but then he said, oh, wait a minute. She changed her mind. She left on the first. And then he's telling police, oh, yeah, well, we got suspicious after a few days. You know, she didn't contact us, but you know what? That's, that's not unusual. That should have been a huge, a huge red flag. And so now we know what has happened within the last 48 hours, maybe even less, is that the husband has been charged with misleading police. Moreover, when the police went into the house, because they figured out he was lying about something, although it's not clear what yet, um, there was a knife found that had blood on it, and the knife was broken. Keep in mind, everything of those notes I wrote was well before I ever knew this was going to happen. And see, this is where I want everybody to get. Maybe some of you are already there if you are fantastic. But this is the way people, they should be educated enough. You should understand things well enough when it comes to disappearances to be able to read a regular article like this one that was written and right away notice that some things don't sound right. When a woman who has three sons between two and six, and then somebody saying, oh yeah, it's not unusual for when she goes out of town to not contact them for days. That's crap. Like I said, unless she is the worst mother in the world. She was supposed to fly on in the third, but there was some emergency, but it's very like a, a vague emergency. I mean, really what she, you know, she's living in Boston and the, the property is in DC. And what she, can she really do? If there's some emergency, what something's on fire? Somebody's not paying their rent. I mean, really what she, how important can it be that she moves up her flight two days. I mean, if it was really important that she had to be like on call, something bad happened, she'd be living in DC. She wouldn't be living in Massachusetts. And what you should read, what you should gather from this is, this is not reality. This is somebody making stuff up. This is what it should translate into. And, so, I'll now read um I didn't do that, but uh, I didn't copy the article, but we now know that her husband you know he, he's not a very good guy, and surely he killed his wife. why I don't know, but surely he did so, and the reason he said that of course he moved her up, he had to make an alibi for her. The reason he said she moved she moved that flight from January 3rd to January 1st, is to explain why she wasn't around. He said that. He's also the one who most likely said that, yeah, she was going to take Uber or Lyft. Well, then if she did said that, then where is the proof that she did that? No, it doesn't exist. didn't happen. Because he had to come up with that because he had to explain, well, if she went to the, to the airport on January 1st, how did she get there? And uh, just on and on and on. Very sad. Very sad. I feel horrible. But she's dead. That's no speculation. She's dead. He killed her. It's a man-said type of disappearance. I certainly hope that they find her. I'm hoping this is very much like that recent Unfound Now I did with Jennifer Capaldi, where her husband tried to play it off for about a month, and that's all he could do. And he finally broke down and said where she was and you find out that her husband killed her and chopped her up. I don't know, but we find out that, 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 uh her uh, husband, we found out also that Anna's husband was a con artist. Some sort of, I, I unfortunately did not uh, copy the article, but he was some sort of art con artist I don't I uh, I, I, like I said I didn't uh, there's probably an explanation out there and I probably would have gotten it to today if I wasn't with my brother but did he was he like forging art that's very big people don't realize this but that's a huge business making uh, art collectors think that they're buying a Picasso when really they're it's just John Smith Painting a Picasso, painting like Picasso, or painting like Monet or Monet or whoever else, Rembrandt. And they think they're buying, buying the real thing and it's worth a lot of money when really it's a forgery. Maybe that's what her husband is was into. But he's a bad guy. I don't know. Art forgery, I, I suppose that's better than terrorism. And it's certainly you know less... Uh, less horrible than murder, but it does seem here that, that he's now into murder too. But he's a bad guy. Maybe if we had known this from the first time this came up, then there wouldn't have been any question on what happened here. But it's very sad, Sad, but Anna is surely dead. Yeah. Uh, Rockford, not to mention all the people throwing guys hanging out at food trucks under the bus and treating frat guy 4 chance chats like Zodiac Cyphers. I know. I know it's it's Rockford, it's disgusting. Going back to the Brian Koberger and the Idaho murders, um, it's disgusting how quickly people want to throw others under the bus and point fingers and everything. Why do they do this? Because it's great spectacle. It's bread and circuses. For too many crying people out there, once again, podcasters and YouTubers. And the mainstream channels, I don't care what you'll watch, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, CNBC, Bloomberg, National News, or whatever, that News Nation or whatever it's called, they are more than happy to provide bread and circuses for everybody when it comes to stuff like this. It's disgusting. I, I will quote um, the guy... From Network, I did this a couple weeks ago, and I will say Howard Beale. I will quote Howard Beale on this live show again tonight. And what he was doing, he was speaking for his own news channel in the movie Network. They will tell you any SHIT you want to hear, they will tell you, that they're more than happy to tell you crap. They're more than happy to go after people, go after the police, making quick judgments about things that are just happening. They don't know what they're doing. This isn't happening fast enough. It's all disgusting. Mark and Andy Rockford, people get so infatuated with their own theories and they can't fathom anything else. No one can possibly be as smart as they are. It's one of the reasons I don't argue with people about theories. We discuss theories. We discuss theories. Do those theories fit with the facts that we know as facts change theories change? That's why I don't argue with people about theories uh, so true Rockford and Mark Rockford says, if you believe the husband's story getting back to the the disappearance probable murder of Anna Walshe uh, Rockford says, if you believe the husband's story, I have a Warhol painting to sell you, look at you Rockford, look at you. And that's very fitting, Rockford, because you know where Andy Warhol's from, don't you? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't know how many people knew that. Guess where I'm from? Not exactly Pittsburgh, but the Pittsburgh area. So nice selection of artists, Rockford. Love it. But um, it's just, you know, I just feel so bad. Uh, But this is one of the things, this is where I'm trying to get all of you to, anybody who's willing to listen to me. I'm trying to get you to that point where you don't fall into all of this stuff, where you don't follow this, you know, every post that's on WebSleuth and Reddit and everything else, because here's what I know. None of those people know what the hell they're talking about. They're just there to talk and because they have nothing else to do. Just let the people do their work. Now, if it goes for a year and it's still unsolved, okay. Sucks. You know, we can even do that maybe with Lisa Beaver, uh, Missy Beavers. We can start looking at, did they mess things up? What do we know? What don't we know? But for four murders, um, I don't know if they were randomly done or not. I think that there are facts to show that Brian kind of knew at least the, at least one of the girls, if not a couple of the girls. I think that there's maybe facts to support that. This was not necessarily a random killing. But they are more the, – the news people are more than happy to feed into all of your fears and everything else regarding stuff like this. Uh, sure. Oh, Fowler was actually selling fake Warhols. Okay, so that's why Rockford picked that. Okay, I once again, I, I read that he was a con, uh, an art con artist, but I did not read uh, what kind of paintings or where it was Warhol. Okay, thank you. Fairy makes people feel better when others suffer. It's a weird human trait. Yeah, it, the the Germans had uh have a word for it. Fairy, it's called Schadenfreude having a getting enjoyment out of the suffering of others. I wish, so it's one of my, I don't know many German words, but that's my favorite one. So I guess the question now regarding Anna's disappearance is that, is this guy, her husband going to break down and say where she is? <clears throat> of course, hope he does. Uh, but being that... Uh, He's already a con artist to start. I don't know how far they're going to get with that. I don't know. So moving on. Uh, One more story I want to cover, and then I will fill you in on Friday's episode. I'm going to be doing the interview tomorrow. Two have been arrested. Two men have been arrested and charged with vandalizing electrical substations in Washington. This this is kind of the same type of thing that I'm talking about regarding the Idaho murders. Two men have been arrested and charged with vandalizing electrical substations in Washington State. Attacks that left thousands without power over the holidays. And one suspect told authorities they did it so they could break into a business and steal money. Matthew Greenwood, 32. Jeremy Crahan, 40. Both of... Wallop were arrested Saturday and made initial appearances in U.S. District Court in Tacoma on Wednesday. A newly unsealed complaint charged both with uh, conspiracy to damage energy facilities and it charged Greenwood with possession of a short-barreled rifle and a short-barreled shotgun. Cell phone location data and other evidence tied them to the attacks on the four substations in Pierce County. The attacks on Christmas left more than 15,000 customers without power. Officials have warned that the U.S. power grid needs more security to prevent domestic terrorism. And after a large outage in North Carolina last month, took days to repair. According to the complaint, Greenwood Greenwood told investigators after his arrest that the two knocked out power so they could burglarize a business and steal from the cash register. The business was not identified in the complaint. Um. The four substations targeted were the Graham and Elk Plain substations operated by Tacoma Power and Kapalsin and Hemlock substations operated by Puget Sound Energy. The complaint said transformers at the Tacoma Power substations would have been have to, would have to be replaced and damage was estimated to be at least three million dollars. according to the to the complaint, the pair hit the first three substations early on Christmas Day and struck the last that evening. In each case, they used bolt cutters to access the properties and manipulated switches to knock up power. At the Kapowson, I'm probably not saying that right, substation, their actions caused arcing and sparking. Greenwood and Crayon were identified as suspects because location data showed cell phones linked to them in the vicinity of all four incidents. Why can't they use this technology to solve disappearances, people? Agents surveilled them December 27th and January 3rd, and they appeared to be sharing a home in Puala. Puala. The substations are spread out over dozens of miles. The attacks occurred early in the morning and in the evening at the first and fourth attacks were separated by over 12 hours. This makes it unlikely that an individual would simply happen to be at all four locations around the times they were vandalized. Okay. So, yes, we still do not know what happened. Uh, in these other um outages that what you know, that went on specifically the one that's mentioned in the article in North Carolina but i have to ask all of you a question now i talked about this why is it that i was like nah this is this isn't terrorism as we usually expect it as we usually accept it um you know, people trying to damage it because they're trying to destroy the United States, you know, terrorism as we think about 9-11, or even going back to the first World Trade bombing in 1993, or some of these other things that have happened, like uh, shooting on some um, military bases, or like what happened at this uh, gay club in Orlando some years ago. Those are what we usually think of, of terrorism incidents. Now, I will ask you, why is it that when I heard heard about this, and I still hold this opinion of what happened in North Carolina, did I not think it was that kind of terrorism? It's certainly damaging, certainly sucks for the people who lost their power, certainly is something that should be stopped. But why is it that? Um, I didn't think it was terrorism, but a lot of other people did once again, going back to mainstream news channels and everything else. Why is this? Why is this? Am I, you know, am I just a little naive or something? Obviously I ended up being right. These two guys aren't terrorists. They're burglars. They're burglars. Now, why is this? You know why? Because these people t- love to tell stories because terrorism gets clicks. You start telling people, we think that the power grid in the United States is being tackled, is being attacked by terrorists from, you know, whether domestic terrorism that want to take down the United States and throw us all into the dark and everything, and everybody's going to start paying attention, even though there's no proof of that. No proof of that. Whereas the way I look at it, it is, Yes, horrible. I wouldn't want, you know, I lost my power for like a day after Hurricane Ian went through two hours south of here and it sucks. It was still a beautiful day and everything else, but I'm like, hey, I got to get work done. So I know. And so these people, especially up in Washington, it's cold. And, you know, if you have electric heat, then I guess you're screwed. Certainly horrible, but not terrorism. Now, the reason I didn't think it is because... Doing this does not kill anybody. Last time I checked, terrorists like to kill people. Now, I'm not saying somebody might not have died or something, but aren't terrorists a little more, usually a little more direct than that? And dare I say, going back to the, probably the most famous kind of situation like this, to the San Jose Um, incident that happened some years ago and I even talked about that when these stories started a month ago I I talked about it that's not considered to be terrorism either and instead although those people have not been caught I think you can delete that one I got that one for you Sheree Um, even though they have not been caught, what did investigators eventually decide that the reason that power Santa, that, that power station in San Jose was eventually taken out is because they were having some sort of labor dispute. Was not terrorism. Was not somebody trying to blow anything up. Was not trying to kill anybody. It was just somebody frustrated. They weren't getting their way. And they thought this was a good way to get people's attention. Now, I know that. I'm just a person like you are. I'm just an average person like you are. Outside of just doing the podcast, where I have the microphone and you're all listening, I appreciate all of you. Other than that, I'm just like one of you, taking in all of this. (laughs) Why is it so easy for me to determine, you know what, guys? This is not terrorism. It's horrible. I hope all these people get put in jail. But there's certainly no need to scare millions and millions of people over something that is obviously not terrorism. Is our electrical grid in the United States vulnerable? Probably is. Might be. It sucks that these things happen. I don't know what we can do about that. I mean, we have power lines in the United States running through force out in the middle of nowhere. How are you going to protect that? If somebody decides to get some dynamite and go out into those woods and dynamite one of those towers, I don't know how you can stop that unless you just don't want to have power. There's just, you know, we're just going to – there's just going to be some risk here. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. I just want you to know that – Um You know, I'm never going to scare all of you unless it's really, really, really obvious that something is scary. If I think that something is, and I come to this microphone for this live show, obviously it's not something we get into in the regular podcast on Fridays. But if something I feel that is a crime related, that is something that's really, really scary going on, I will tell you so. I will never hype Anything. I will never sensationalize anything. And it looks like this. I got this exact right. Just a bunch of people going out and doing stupid stuff. They wanted to burglarize someone. So they decided to put 15,000 people in the dark. And I'm going to guess probably these two guys have criminal records. I'm going to guess they're probably involved in drugs. And this seemed like a good idea. And I can't help but think what went on in North Carolina is very much the same thing. Maybe not burglars, but the problem is we just have too many people who get high. We have a drug problem in the United States. We have an addiction problem in the United States. We have an alcohol problem in the United States. And there are a lot of guns here. And so when I hear about stores getting shot up and power stations getting shot up, And as much as I know, in Pennsylvania back in the day, you could go through the back roads and street signs being shot with bullet holes through them and everything else. You know what? People sometimes are just bored out of their minds and they come up with stupid ideas. There you go. All right. Moving on to this Friday's episode, we're going to be covering the disappearance of Leslie Allen and three of her children. It's very sad. Uh, Their her children's names are Cameron, Kyle, and Rachel. They went missing as far as good as far as anybody can tell around a, April 11th of 2000 from Fulton, Mississippi. Although Leslie uh, was originally from Wisconsin by way of Indiana, or Indiana by way of Wisconsin. And the title of the episode is going to be Three Kids and a Lady. And the guest, the guests, I think it's going to be guests. I haven't done the interview yet. We're still working out that. I know for sure that Leslie's ex-husband, Jeff, will be a guest. And he is not a suspect. He was in a totally different state when this all happened. And I think when we do the episode, you'll, you'll really, really, really know that I'm right. And I think that Jeff's sister, whose name is Trina, will, might be taking part in this interview as well. Uh, Jeff and Leslie had gotten divorced, and she ended up um, hooking up with a friend of Jeff's, who, Jeff's, whose name was Kelly. And Kelly convinced Leslie to move with all of her children to Mississippi from, India, from Indiana. And you're going to hear somehow how this was all allowed to happen because it does seem to get in the way of what we usually understand regarding custodial rights, especially considering Jeff who stayed in Indiana. And then at some point, like a year later, after she had moved down to this area where Kelly was and they were living on his property, Leslie and three of the children went missing. But the two older children who are mentally handicapped, have learning disabilities, didn't go missing. And they're actually still alive to this day, living with Kelly. So you can start looking that one up. You will not find Leslie Allen on the Charlie Project. However, you will find Cameron, Kyle, and Rachel Anderson is their last name. Um, It's little kids. Um, You will find them on the Charlie Project. So once again, Leslie Allen and her children. They went missing somewhere around April eleventh, 2000 from Fulton, Mississippi. The episode is going to be called Three Kids and a Lady. We're going to take a little bit of a look at parents who go missing with their children. We've done at least one with Chance and Dub Wackerhagen. And the guests will uh, surely be Jeff Anderson, the ex-husband. And I think probably his sister is going to take part. Her name is Trina. So that's Friday. I'm really excited about it. I hope we can help. So that is the live show. Thank you, um, Fred. Maybe I'll uh, read all this before I go. Uh, that's my power company, Puget Sound. Um, Tina, that is so funny as the Washington government has passed the, that only electric can be sold. All right. And MT, it's how the media reports the news. I live in Washington. Read one story about how this was terrorism, one story about the actual mode of robbery. Uh, we're doing better than you, Harry. Tina, we ourselves do not have the power to spare. All of us depend on a lot of power more than ever, and the need grows every day. And thank you, cyan Girl. Thank you. So that's it. That is the live show for January 9th, 2023. And uh, you will hear me on Friday for the Friday's episode. I have a lot of work to do between now and then. And thank you all for watching and listening tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it entertaining, but also I hope you found it to be informative too. Good night, everyone. Please give this video a thumbs up before you leave. Bye-bye.